Thanks, Nathaniel. What do you need this morning? I'm sorry. I did not even look over. I just assumed that was Nathaniel. That just sounded like a Nathaniel offertory. So I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. What do you need this morning? I need forgiveness. Yes, thank you. Well, there's a lot of things that are floating in the culture, a lot of ads, and there's a lot of things that our hearts begin to cry out and start to speak to us that we need. I need a bigger flat screen TV. I need a nicer car. What I need is some money in my bank account. What I need is to get into this college. What I need is to score well so I can get into this grad school. What I need is to pass this test. What I need is a good SAT score. What I need is a break. What I need is a vacation. What I need is a promotion. What I need is to get a job. What I need is a wife. What I need is a spouse. What I need is a husband who will listen to me. What I need is a boyfriend or a girlfriend. What I need is my children to be grateful. What I need is to have children. What I need is to have a better savings plan for my children, or a better financial portfolio. What I need is a diet plan. What I need is to get in shape. There's a lot of needs, isn't there? (laughs) What I need is to be happy. Well, what does the Word of God say you need this morning? Listen carefully to God's Word. I'm starting at Hebrews 10, verse 35. Therefore... Do not throw away your confidence. Don't chuck it, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So what is faith? Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old receive their commendation. Father, we ask that you would take your word and speak to our hearts and lives. Sanctify us in this truth. Change us from glory to glory. Remind us of all that we have and remind us of what we need to let go of and what we need to hold on to. Give us endurance, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're wondering why we're studying Hebrews 11 this summer, I think it's fitting. We have need of endurance. And we need this great cloud of witnesses that's laid out in Hebrews 11 to spur us on, to remind us, to run with perseverance the race marked out for us. As they were looking to Jesus, we are looking to Jesus. 
but we need examples. Biblical theology is not against examples. Of course, we look to Jesus, but Jesus also said, gave us things like remember Lot's wife, just as much as he said, remember me. There are bad colossal examples and some great examples to follow. When you think of Cooperstown, what do you think of? For those of you who watch baseball, <laughs> it's the Hall of Fame for the baseball players. And when you think of Canton, Ohio, you think of the NFL Hall of Fame. Well, Hebrews 11 is the Hall of Fame. It's, it's the Hall of Faith. And this sermon which was the writer of Hebrews, who we don't know who it was, we can speculate. It was an exhortation. He said, I've written you a brief exhortation, he says at the end of the book. This was a sermon. Boy, it wouldn't have been great to sit under this sermon of Hebrews, the whole thing. It was an exhortation to steadfastness. It was an exhortation to R-U-N, to run. And the church wanted to H-I-D-E. They wanted to hide because persecution was starting to break out. And he told him the context in chapter 1032, he said, recall the former days after you were enlightened, after you became Christians, you had a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated for you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. That's to me one of the most amazing passages of scripture. You wanna talk about living by faith. What is faith? It's faith that you go public and go to the prison and admit you're a Christian and serve the food and go and, 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 and say, I'm one of them. And you look back and you see your house is being plundered and burned and destroyed and you're being mocked and you say, it's okay, I have a better possession and an abiding one. Even though I can't see it, but I, I have the assurance of things not seen. I have this conviction. I know that that treasure in heaven is better and I can let that go. Does it say they regretfully accepted the plundering of their property? Did they get all upset? Did they file a lawsuit? It doesn't say any of that. They just accepted it. It's amazing. Because they had a better possession and an abiding one. Do we really believe that the world to come is better than this one? Or have we dropped anchor? Have we taken the anchor and have we thrown it overboard and say, I want to just be right here. I don't want my boat to keep going because it's going to be hard. That's a hard road to get to heaven. I think I'll just drop my anchor here. And writer's saying, you better pull up the anchor. We have an anchor, it's Jesus. It's not this world. And we have to run with perseverance. And so Hebrews has this doctrinal section all the way up to 1018, but at 1019, we get to a therefore. It's like the great Romans 12.1, and you get a shift at 1019. It's therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope 
without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And so we have that triad of faith, hope, and love. So you got all this doctrine up to 1018, then, you, then 10, 1019, we're reminded of what we have in Christ, and now we see faith, hope, love. Let us. The first let us is to draw near the true heart, full assurance of faith. And then let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, and let us consider how to spur and stir one another up to love and good works. So you could, you could say chapter 11 is all about faith, chapter 12 is all about hope, and chapter 13 is all about love. And that's the rest of the book. And so we're going to focus this summer on faith. And I'm, I'm asking us to do something that is going to be work, and it's going to be hard for me. I'm not a great memorizer, but I'm asking us to memorize Hebrews 11 to see if you can do it. And uh, I think it'll be very helpful for us to try to memorize this chapter. And so we're going to go through it slowly this summer. So let me encourage you to start working on these verses. So this morning is an introduction. And so the book of Hebrews was, as I said, was the context is persecution. The, the Jewish Christians are being persecuted by this emperor named Claudius in AD 49 and then again in the 60s under Nero. And most think this was written before the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70 because there's no mention of the destruction of Jerusalem. Richard Phillips was, and a lot of other commentators say not only does Hebrews speak of the temple rituals as a present reality, but it's hard to imagine its writer passing up such an opportunity as the fall of Jerusalem to prove its passing away of the old covenant religion. And so they believe that it's written before that. But persecution is breaking out. And so this book is a, a, a encouragement, exhortation for Christians that were thinking these were Jewish Christians and all the imagery is to the Old Testament that they're thinking about, well, let's, maybe we should go back to Judaism. Maybe we should just sprinkle in some of those elements. And if we could bring in some of those elements of Judaism and still have some of Jesus, then maybe we could avoid the persecution that we're undergoing. And so there's a warning, and then there's a reminder of the need and then we'll talk about faith. But first of all, the warning, he says, don't throw away your confidence. That's a pretty strong word. Don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Years ago, and I've told this story before, there was a, it was on the, I read this somewhere, and a guy had a, a wedding ring that he had, he put his $13,000 engagement ring, and he was going to propose to his um, soon-to-be fiance, I don't know if this ever worked out. It was probably downhill from here. He had it in helium, in a helium balloon. And he had this nice, and he was going to pop the balloon as a lead-in to pop the question. Pop the balloon. Well, the problem was before he could pop the balloon, he wasn't holding the string tightly, and he threw away his reward, literally. It went slowly, 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 up, 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 and gone. $13,000 engagement ring, never to be found. I don't, pretty sad, huh? What Jesus said, what good is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul? 
What good is it if you throw away your confidence? It's got a great reward. Do you believe the reward is better than everything that this world can give you? Let me break that down. What good is it if you work all the time and you work so much that you're not spending any time feeding your soul and your family's soul spiritually? What good is it? What good is it if your child is the best soccer player or the best baseball player in town? And what good is it if you're no longer coming to church? What good is it? What good is it? What good is it if you get that that great, great SAT score and you have that great college scholarship, but in the meantime, you can't be involved in the church because you're just too busy? What good is it to have the long-awaited spouse if you compromise all integrity to get them? You see, what the writer of Hebrews would say is pop the balloon now. Put it on your finger and don't lose it. Sell all now. Buy the field that contains the treasure is the language of Jesus. It means making the harder choices because we have a better treasure which has a great reward. And when faith is being exercised, we realize that the invisible realities that we can't see are greater than the realities that we can see. So there's a throwing away that's slowly taking place with all of us. All of us are slowly throwing something away. The question is, what are you throwing away? So depending on the race you're running, you're either slowly throwing away your confidence, which has great reward, or you're throwing off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles What you're throwing off reveals what race you're really running. Are you throwing off all the bitterness, any roots of bitterness that would spring up and Satan's stiff jab and and then the uppercut of anger and wrath and jealousy and then the knockout blow of fornication, adultery, pornography, and sexual immorality? Are you throwing that off? Are you throwing off the habit of meeting together with other Christians for mutual encouragement and strength in the race? Are you running a different race that involves a different energy and a different devotion and a different pursuit? You determine by your priorities the race that you're running. The Apostle Paul said, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature or his flesh he will reap destruction. But the one who sows to the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So let's not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And so the author of Hebrews uses lots of repetition throughout the book. And I want to just encourage you, read the book of Hebrews. Just sit down and read the book and look for the repetition. There's just tons of repetition. I mean, you come across a word like, don't throw away your confidence, it has a great reward. And that's coming on the heels of not neglecting a great salvation because we have a great priest who's passed through the heavens and he's the great priest over the house of God and we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses right now. And now the God of peace who brought back our Lord Jesus from the dead is the great shepherd of the sheep. By the blood of the eternal covenant equips you with everything good that you may do his will. You see, it's, all, it's a repetition. It's all throughout And so what we need this summer, what we need this morning, is we need endurance. And we're given inspired commentary 
of Habakkuk chapter 2, where this is a direct quote from the Septuagint, from Habakkuk 2, verses 37 and 38, that yet in a little while the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one, the righteous shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. We have need of endurance. So remember, once again, the repetition in Hebrews. 10.32, recall the former days when you began. How did you begin in 10.32? You endured a hard struggle with sufferings. So 10.36, he says you have need of endurance. And then we get to chapter 12, and you remember these familiar verses. We're called to run with endurance. The race set before us because how did Jesus run the race? For the joy set before him, what did he do? He endured the cross. And we're to consider him who what? Endured such hostilities from sinners so that we do not grow weary and quit. And then it ends in chapter 13. Let us go with him outside the camp, bearing the reproach that he endured. We have need of endurance. We're to follow Christ who endured the cross. And the remedy for how do we do this endurance thing is faith. So there really shouldn't be chapter markers between the end of 10 and the beginning of 11. It just flows right into, here's how you do this. Here's what endurance looks like. And let me show you all these people that did it by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. They endured. They endured. And it's, it's meant for us to give us strength and nurture for our bones, spiritual bones, that we would endure by faith. Lots of things in life require faith. And we just take it for granted. So when we say by faith, what do we mean? I mean, we drink water from the tap. We eat food at a restaurant. We don't, we don't know where that food's been. And I don't know where that water's been. And when I flush the toilet, I don't know where in the world it's going, but I just trust that I'm not contaminating the universe when I do that. We do all kinds of stuff by faith. We give people our credit cards and they go back into some room with our credit card. We do that all the time. You sit down in a dentist chair and the dentist is over you with a drill, getting ready to drill into your teeth. Let me tell you, by faith, I hold on to the sides. <laughs> it is by faith at that point. And if you've ever been put under and you, and you have surgery, except for the time I got a huge shot that I don't know what they gave me, but they could have told me they were taking off my leg and I would have been just fine. I was so happy. But by faith, we do all kinds of things. So Tim Keller has this great quote about faith in his sermons on Hebrews 11, and he says, the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is not that Christians have faith and non-Christians don't. The difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is not whether you have faith, but where, where you put the faith you have. Where are you building your life? What are you building your life on? The Bible now is not called to the skeptics and say, oh, you're these hard-nosed skeptical people who don't live your life by faith, but on the basis of reasoning. That's not what the Bible's saying. It's not saying just make this, this blind leap. It's not what it's saying. He goes on and he says, he says, what it says is there's instability and unhappiness in your life, and you know why? It's because you've already put your faith in inadequate objects. And he says, do you know what a bomb is? A bomb is something with an unstable compound in the center, and that's why it blows up. And he says, you want to know why you're anxious and unhappy? Something is inside you which is unstable. And do you know what that unstable compound is? 
How do you decide where you get your meaning in life? How do you decide what, the, what are the most important things to live for? How do you decide what's right and wrong? You've already put your faith in things that are inadequate. And a pyramid upside down is very unstable. If you'd have tried to build your greatness of your life on things that, are already, uh, that you're already believing and creates that instability, and then we're a bomb. And if we haven't already gone off, we will. And so... What is the faith? The faith has to rest in something. And so what the writer of Hebrews has been stacking up all these arguments of truth statements about what you have in Christ. And we've been talking a lot about our identity in Jesus. Listen to this. The writer of Hebrews just keeps repeating things. So one of the big repetitions is we have. So I just want you to hear some of the we haves. We have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, 414. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul. We have a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand at the throne of the majesty in heaven. We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all, 1019. We have a great high priest over the house of God, 1021. And he says something we don't have. We have no lasting city, but we seek the city which is to come. So I hope you caught the emphasis this morning. We, we're following the life of Joshua. We're following just as the people of God. We're heading for the promised land. Has anybody reached the promised land yet? We haven't reached that. We're in the wilderness, and we're getting ready to cross over, and the people of God were also going towards the promised land. And the reason it was the promised land is because it was promised to them as the land. It's the promised land. We have a promised land. It's called heaven. And we're not there yet. We're in that wilderness. Joshua didn't give them rest when they got there. But Jesus does give us rest. And he gives us eternal rest in him. And so we have no lasting city. The whole emphasis of this faith idea in Hebrews 11 is that we first of all have to understand we are aliens and we are pilgrims and we are strangers here on in this world and we don't lay anchor down we're passing through there's six references here in Hebrews to Jesus being seated and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God you think that's a big deal six times in Hebrews Priests were always standing. They're never sitting. And yet six times in Hebrews, we are told that Jesus is seated or sitting. Chapter 1, twice. Chapter 8, verse 1. Chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 12. I like when a book just hits me over the head and tells me, tell me the point. Tell me what you're going to tell me. It's like when Jesus tells a parable. He told them a parable that they might not lose heart and that they might always pray. And then he tells them a parable, the persistent widow. I like that. Just tell me what it's for, and then boom. The writer of Hebrews tells us, here it is. He says, now the point. Here's the main point in which we're saying, 8-1. Here it is. We have a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty of, in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. So we have the main point, is that we have one who's interceding for us, and his job is finished in the sense of atoning for our sins. He sat down, because the reason the priests were always standing is because there was always new atonement that needed to be made because of our sin. But Jesus has a once-for-all atonement. And so now we're told that this is a true tent, 
And it's one that man didn't set up, but God set up. I remember years ago when I saw the making of how they made the Lord of the Rings, and they showed just like in a little room, it's like a living room, there was a miniature Lord of the Rings, and it was the set. And they, they did a lot of this stuff right there in that room with just this little mini thing, and then they blew it up and made it into this movie, right? So they have this miniature castle and all these miniature pieces, and that's similar when you take that imagery and think of what God has done for us, is he made a miniature tabernacle on earth. And it was a copy of the true tabernacle in heaven. And he's a director, and he wanted us to get a glimpse of the heavenly things by making an earthly copy much smaller. And now Christ has come, and he's abolished the miniature tabernacle, the copy, because the story has been made Kind of like when the director is done and he gets rid of the set that he no longer needs because you have the real movie. Well, this is something much greater than a real movie. This is the true story. You don't have the shadows anymore. You have the real thing. You don't need a a physical temple and a physical priest and an altar and a sacrifice. We have the real and substantial temple, which is in heaven. We have the high priest Jesus. We have the true altar, the one sacrifice with all its offerings. And now we have true access into the very presence of the most holy God. And so when he, the writer of Hebrews keeps saying this is new or it's better and, and our world is so tired, we're so tired of hearing new and improved. I mean, how much can you improve toothpaste? Everything's always new and improved. Well, Jesus in Hebrews is presented to us as a new and living way. He's opened up for us. And we are told that Jesus is better than the prophets, chapter 1. He's better than the angels, chapter one. He's better than Moses because he's counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as a builder of a house, as much more glory than the house itself. He's better than Joshua who never gave the people the ultimate rest they longed for even when they entered the promised land. Jesus takes us to the true promised land. We have a better hope built on a better covenant with better promises, a better sacrifices, a better possession, an abiding country, and therefore we are seeking now a better country, a better resurrection, and the blood of Christ speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Everything is better because the law, hear this, if you're wondering what all this has to do with you, how do you come this morning? Is this story this morning about you or is it about God? And do you have to make yourself, fix yourself to make yourself acceptable to God? Listen to what Hebrews says. The law made nothing perfect. Nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Two chapters later, according to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. They can't make us right. Chapter 10. The law was a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of of these realities. It can never buy these same sacrifices that are continually offered every year. They cannot make perfect those who draw near. That's some bad news. But then the writer gets to the good news. But Christ has offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet, for by a single offering he has perfected
perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And now we come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to the innumerable angels in festal gathering, according to, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous, what? Made perfect. The law could make nothing perfect. Now Jesus makes you perfect by one sacrifice perfected for all time and that those who've gone before us are now perfect and so what does faith look like faith is believing but then it's living out this faith and embracing these let us promises in hebrews that's the other big phrase we are and let us therefore while the promise of entering his rest still stands let us fear lest any of you should seem to fail to reach it. Let us, therefore, strive to enter that race, to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Let us hold fast our confession. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity. Let us draw near with a full assurance of faith. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Let us consider how to stir each other up to love and good works. Let us lay aside every weight. Let us run with perseverance. Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us offer to God acceptable worship. Therefore, let us go outside the camp and bear the approach he returned, for we have no lasting city. Through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Jonathan Edwards, in his book, Religious Affections, said this about Christ. I think I have a slide for that. He says, by the sight of the transcendent glory of Christ, true Christians see him worthy to be followed and are powerfully drawn after him. They see him worthy that they forsake all for him. By the sight of that superlative amiableness, they are thoroughly disposed to be subject to him and engaged to labor with all, with earnestness and activity in his service and made willing to go through all the difficulties for his sake. And it is the discovery of this divine excellency of Christ that makes him constant, makes them constant to him for it makes a deep impression upon their minds that they cannot forget him, that they'll follow him Whatsoever he goes, and it is vain for any to endeavor to draw them away from him. And so let me close by reminding you of one other theme. It's the heavenly theme. By faith, we see these invisible realities. And now from Hebrews, we're told we have a heavenly calling. We've tasted the heavenly gift. We desire a better country, a heavenly one. We've come to the city of living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And by faith, we're there. And now we're to press on, setting our hearts and minds on things above. And so the American assumptions for consumption, to live for style, safety, ease, pleasure, comfort, wealth, leisure, travel, vacation, entitlement, it's all challenged now through Hebrews, through a new filter, through a life of faith, of what matters in light of eternity and what's the most strategic use of my life to please the heavenly father, my heavenly father, to advance the kingdom of his son and use the gifts that he's given me for his glory and that his Holy Spirit has given to me as his workmanship, run with perseverance after him because Jesus is worthy. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you that your kingdom is breaking into this world and this world is passing away. And I pray that you would give us the eyes of faith to see that the world that's breaking in is so much better than this current world. And that it would so fill us with hope that our faith would be renewed as we see how awesome Jesus is and what he has done for us and atoning for our sins and knowing that he's coming again and he's making all things new. May we know we have a better possession and an abiding one. Would you give us the endurance that we need by faith? We ask that you bless this series this summer and that we would be changed and made more like you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond in singing, Come Christians, join to sing.